Hello, my name is Ryan Short and I'm a student project manager at the Clark Forum for Contemporary Issues at Dickinson College. I'm joined by Associate Professor Dr. April Williams. Dr. April Williams is an Assistant Professor of Communication and Digital Studies at the University of Michigan. She's also a faculty associate at Harvard University's Bergman Klein Center for Internet Society and a senior fellow in Trustworthy IA at the Mozilla Foundation and is affiliated researcher at NYU Center for Critical Race and Digital Studies. Her focus is on digital media and algorithmic technologies as they converge with issues concerning race, ethnicity, gender, collective identities, and popular culture. Thank you for joining me. The first question, how did you become interested in digital studies converging with identities? So I got my PhD in sociology, and when I was in grad school, I thought that I wanted to get a PhD so I could open a black history museum. And then I realized that actually I was more interested in technology because I could see that's where a lot of online meeting and convening was happening. And it was sort of like being able to study culture in action as it was happening. How did your experience impact your research? Yeah, so sort of like what I was saying last night, being raised by an activist who grew up in segregated Texas and also being a black woman at primarily white institutions at PWIs, I think I really felt called to shed light on the black experience and I also was just interested in seeing how and celebrating how the black community does like create joy and share joy and also pain and support in online spaces. How significant is social media and racial discourse? I mean, I would say fairly significant because it's all part of the way that we do social life and socialization is such a layered process where where we're creating meaning um, at all times like every everything that we do is creating meaning and it's either supporting norms or reshaping norms norms are always being negotiated so that online part of our lives is really important because online is where so much of our interactions happen that sort of extend another layer of social life and socializing. What kind of role do you think social media will have in the future of racial discourse? That's interesting. I think sometimes I feel like people are sort of tired of hearing about race, which I mean you're in a privileged position if you're able to be tired of hearing about race and you're not a person of color, um, then like great for you. But those of us who live in these bodies, unfortunately are confronted with the reality that we're othered and treated differently quite often in, in US society um, and globally as well. So I think it will continue to be an important point because part of globalization is that we are so connected now and that enables us to compare experiences and share and talk about global patterns of oppression and not just oppression that's experienced here but really by all people throughout the black diaspora and people of the global majority which are people of color um, so i think it's really important that we have social media because we're able to see okay i'm experiencing this kind of oppression in the u.s but then other people are experiencing similar kinds of racialized oppression all throughout the world how does gender play a role in white supremacy? It's a good question too. Um, <laughs> so I would say, it's actually a complicated question. So there's so many different ways that you can think about it. 
let's say like whiteness and masculinity are pretty deeply intertwined together because the things that we think of or that are prescribed as being the ideal man in society are things that are very tied to white masculinity in particular so and white heteropatriarchal masculinity in particular so things like being the head of the household the main breadwinner right the person who produces the most income for the family the person who has the final say in what the family does or doesn't do the person who does less of the work of caring for children in the home they work typically outside the home rather than women who work inside the home all of these things come from white society's perspective about what it means to be a man in the u.s and also reinforces that idea that everybody has to work for themselves and like pull themselves up by their by their bootstraps which we know is not true so it's deeply tied to masculinity in that way but then also it's tied to femininity and the way that we understand the role of women in society because women are the people who do the care and then pass on the traditions the societal expectations so white women in particular are going to be training their kids about what is the expectation and even though they might not be being explicitly racist which we know in some families they are explicitly racist but in other cases they're not they're still passing down implicit biases to their children and the way that they raise them and the expectations that they have so gender definitely plays a role a significant role in the way that we think about race and um, certainly in white supremacy the irony there is that affirmative action actually helps white women more than any other group and so they benefit from affirmative action yet because they see it as taking away from that bootstraps mythology of like everybody has to work hard for themselves no handouts you have to pull yourself up then they don't want other people especially minoritized people to benefit from that um so we can see there like that is white supremacy in action where people who are white are benefiting from social programs right and like social benefits and they don't want other people to have access to the same benefits that contribute to their wealth and so that's sort of the way white supremacy works is that it's very covert people don't realize necessarily that kind of like illogical thinking or conflicting thinking benefiting from affirmative action but then trying to deny it for folks of color is white supremacy because it's saying that by virtue of being a woman and white they deserve this benefit whereas other people don't even if that's not the explicit sort of layer of thought or even the explicit reasoning behind policy policy adoptions is there a disconnect between race and gender oh uh, what do you mean by that could you say more about that well in my experiences and my research going into this i feel like especially with white women even though like there's an irony there where they relate their they use their power of being white to inflict oppression on other minorities but then they view themselves as being a minority just because they're women and they don't realize like the privilege they have so mm -hmm. I don't, I've only really seen it with like a disconnect between white women but I'm pretty sure there's other examples yeah absolutely so yes i wouldn't say gender and race are disconnected i would say that white women don't recognize their white privilege and that's because 
they are very connected to the patriarchy and the patriarchy is really where power is centralized um, for whiteness. It operates through like these frames of masculinity and systems that put men in positions of social power. And because white women benefit from those systems, they often don't recognize one, how patriarchy also oppresses them. And then they don't realize that because they benefit they're not seeing how other people are disadvantaged by those exact same systems. So it's more an unwillingness or an ignorance about their own white privilege and how that benefits them and how they, they do have privilege in the social system. What do you think is unique about the type of racism and gender discrimination of today? It's really not unique. It's the same, it's the same kind of racism and gender discrimination that we've been seeing throughout America's history. I would say the only difference is that now it's there are more ways that you can be held accountable for that kind of discrimination though it's not a guarantee right and I would say now it is illegal to just like randomly commit murders and other heinous crimes but again people still do and they're not always enforced but I think Obviously, as compared to where there were way more often lynchings and they were a communal activity, that's not socially accepted anymore. So luckily, or thankfully I should say, we don't have to worry as much about, like, is my life in danger when I'm in a primarily white space? So it's less life-threatening in that way. but. It still is life-threatening if you think about the cumulative effects of discrimination and what that can do over your lifetime and how you can experience the, the negative health outcomes from that kind of anxiety and stress. How have the last two presidential elections impacted racial discourse? It's really shifted. So I would say the Obama administration really triggered a lot of backlash against blackness. I think for a while, the country felt really unified, but all the people who were upset about the seemingly new coming racial order where black people did have the same access to power as white people have traditionally had in the US, I think people saw that and were threatened by it and were scared of it. And so when we had the Trump administration come in and sort of give permission to express those thoughts out loud, we're seeing those people who had that anxiety or that fear really responding to his call for law and order. Um, I think law and order is the sort of dog whistle politics code for racial issues. When Trump and other candidates talk about law and order, they're really talking about sustaining a white law and order, which is a white supremacist law and order, right? They don't want people of color to have power and to recognize that they have power and agency. And as they feel their share of power slipping away, they're trying to trying to regain it. And I think it's really important to note that it's not that black people are getting more power than white people, it's that they are approaching an equity of power. And because white people are used to having a bigger share of power, they're feeling threatened by losing that um, as we are not even, we haven't reached it, but approaching equity and power distribution. How do discussions about race with men differ compared to those with women? 
That's really interesting. I'm not sure. I women are more either unmasked with their emotions or more performative about their emotions, whereas men are taught to suppress their emotions, so they're not going to be they're not going to react in the same way, although they might have the same feelings internally. They just aren't going to express them the same way externally. So I don't know that they're that different other than that sort of like performative aspect where gender is concerned. How do celebrities in pop culture play a role in racial discourse? I think sometimes they do a good job and sometimes they complicate it and make it more messy because sometimes they don't know what they're talking about. So <laughs> they can do things that make it harder for people to understand social consequences of race, right? Like they're not sociologists, so I'm not expecting them to have a deep understanding of racial formation and the way that we think and do race in the U.S. or think about and do race in the U.S. But I think at other times they do a really good job of ushering people into a conversation, having opening up the dialogue for conversations about race and racism that they experience. Like, for example, Serena Williams um, talking about the care that she received in the hospital as a black woman. I think that that really opened up a larger cultural conversation about care that black women are receiving in the hospital. And it's sort of like, if even Serena Williams, who is a world-renowned athlete um, and has all this money, can't be assured safety and adequate care in the hospital, then what does that mean for the rest of black women in society? So I think it's a mixed bag, but it's good that we're having these conversations. Is there anything you wish I would have asked you that you would like to address? I I think we've covered everything, honestly. On behalf of the Clark Forum, thank you again for sitting down and having this conversation with me. Yeah, absolutely.